Well, good morning, everybody. Did you all get uh, cleared out? Everyone, anyone lose, lose power? No? You guys lost it still? Like it's still out? Well, that stinks. Um, well, I uh, thank you so much for, for coming, being a part of this. I want to welcome some of our um, people that are online. We have Sierra and Kyle, Cheryl Ramsey, Emily Griffin, Vika, uh, Pat Kassaboom, Ann Wilmot. And over in our family room right now, we have the, the Kogan family. Miss you guys. And uh, yes, yeah, so we've got a ton of people. that are, Those are just people that have just said that they uh, identified that they're, that they're online. Um, I want to let you guys know I've got a really uh, an announcement we've been kind of holding off on and we're real excited to, to let you know about that we have now published the registration for our Christmas Eve services. Um, they are happening on Christmas Eve, which is always December 24th, and we have two of them this year. Th and it's more than a, than a Christmas Eve service. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to picture this. Picture every Hallmark Christmas movie that you've been binging this past week, okay? And you, all, you know you have. If, if, especially if you're married, guys. You know, and you're like, well, I just watch it because she does. You like it, okay? Um, so picture every Christmas, Hallmark Christmas movie you've been binging this week. Um, picture this outside, under the stars, live nativity, snow, cue the snow, lightly falling, hot chocolate, gingerbread cookies, little candy canes for the kitties, um, message of hope in Jesus Christ, and uh, worshiping to Christmas carols as a family as we join together and end in a nostalgic candle lighting. Um, it's going to be awesome. I don't know why you're not even signing up for it right now. In fact, we actually just, we put it online on like Friday. We didn't even make an announcement. We just, it was kind of live in our event registration. We already have like over 50, 60 people that have signed up so far. So as of, as is everything right now, limited capacity. So make sure you pre-register at nlc.today, sign up for it. Uh, we're going to have a 4 p.m. and a 5.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And uh, about a 45 minute, um, like just time together. And we're going to have some warmers outside in case it's frigid. Only time we'd probably cancel would be if it was raining out. If it's snow, that's even better, right? So it's going to be awesome. Um, if for some reason you, you, you know, you're not able to come or you prefer to stay at home, we want to let you know that our 5.30 service, the second service, will be streamed online on our YouTube channel with special online hosting, um, bringing you all of the holiday fun right into your living room on, on YouTube. So make sure you check that out if you're unable to make it or, um, or just you're not ready to come back. So anyway, um, yeah, I think that's it. So sign up, nlc.today, make sure you get in. Let's get, it, let's get into the Word of God. So turn to Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, or if you're like Pastor Tom, you've got your, you your version app on your phone, you can pull that up, Luke chapter 15. And this is episode two of a series that we started last week called Lost or Found. And I want to give you a quick recap, real quick, of in case you missed it or in case you have a really incredible short-term memory, um, then Luke chapter 15 begins with setting up a scene. Uh, a scene where Jesus is talking to a bunch of people. And this is what it says in verse 1 of Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered together. Um, we we're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. It's a good word. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So I want you to capture this. Jesus, um, the crowd that's following him, uh, is made up of all kinds of people, including the unscrupulous. These are sinners, um, on-purpose sinners, tax collectors. These are people that are known 
for, uh, for being devious or downright sinful. And the reality is, is that people that um, were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They liked hanging out with him. They liked gathering around him, following him from town to town. And people who were nothing like Jesus, Jesus liked. And uh, so you've got this happening. And then on the outskirts, you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are muttering and judging and wondering, why in the world would this good rabbi want to allow these on-purpose sinners to be part of his crowd? Why is he not calling them out and saying, I'm sorry, sir, I know what you've done because I'm Jesus and you got to get out of here. And I'd like to call in that person and this person from the back because you guys are the religious elite and I'd like you to have a front seat because, you know, well, after all, you deserve this. And it's in this scenario that Jesus launches into three parables. And we spent last week really talking about the first two and, and most of, of the third parable. So we talked about the uh, parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Now, if, you, if you've never heard the parable of the lost son, or, the, or some of you may know it as the parable of the prodigal, the prodigal son, um, I want to read this because we're going to launch into this and then get into it at an even greater level. So I just believe the Word of God has power. So let's read it. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It starts out with this. Jesus continued. He just told the parable lost sheep, lost coin. He says, continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me, give me my share of the estate. In other words, um, I know you're not dead yet, but if you were, how much would I get? And so the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We'll find out later what wild living was, but we can only imagine the wildness that he did, a young guy with money. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to do probably one of the dirtiest works. He went to, field, to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed, he was so hungry, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. Now this is where it gets good. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And so he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, whoa, 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 I, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off, and he says to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 24. And many times um, we stop right there. Verse 24. It's like the end of the parable. That's the parable of the, the lost son. 
And what's, what's interesting to me, if you look in your Bibles right now, even if you're on the NIV or NKJV, whatever you're on right now, if you look, um, the publishers have put in these headings that kind of just help you. They weren't actually put in there in the writing of the Bible, but they were um, put in there to help publish, to divide up sections, to kind of know where you're at when you're reading a, a chapter. And so if you look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, it'll probably say something to the effect of the parable of the lost son. For some of you, it might say the parable of the prodigal son, but more, more times than not, it just says the parable of the lost son. Now, here's what's interesting, and this is what I was praying about and the Lord was revealing to me this week. Um, it's interesting that verse 11 actually begins this whole parable with this sentence. You can read it yourself. There was a man who had two sons. Two. So it's really actually quite odd that we would name it the parable of the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son, because actually when Jesus was telling the story, he didn't say anything about just one son. We focus a lot on that. It's a great story. We talked about this last week. It's, a metro, it's like a whole message of hope and, and grace and the Father's love, and it's so amazing. But that's actually not what Jesus was saying. He actually says that, that there was a man who had two sons. And what I want to talk about today and what I will argue is that the second son isn't an add-on and he's not an addendum to this story. In fact, I would say that, that the end of this parable is actually what Jesus was building to. So many times we see the climax as the kissing and the hugging and the twirling of the younger son and the father, and yet I would say that this is the actual point that Jesus is getting at, and it's kind of nestled in this portion of Scripture that we use or look on as kind of this, and then meanwhile, this, this was happening as well. It starts out with two sons and ends with two sons. So let's pick it up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son, the second son, was in the field. After all, somebody needed to work, right? Because the other, the other Yahoo ran off with the money. So now he's got twice the amount of work to do. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And the servant says, your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property, our property with, you, with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He, he was lost and is found. So two sons. Two sons. This is actually the end of the parable. Two sons. One we would call the good son. He's the one who stayed home, dotted all of his I's and crossed all of his T's and did everything that he was supposed to do. He's the good one. Let's just be honest. And then there's the, then there's the bad son. This is the younger son. This is the kid who took all the money and ran and spent it on prostitutes and booze and wild living and then, go figure, ran out of it and came home groveling, right? There's the good son and the bad son. But here's the thing, and this is what I was, as I was praying and the Lord was revealing this to me, like if we strip some of those things away, the preconceived notions, um, this is what I was this is what I was realizing is that both brothers made different choices yet struggled with the same condition. 
both brothers made different choices, yet struggled with the same condition. And you're like, no, actually, Justin, they're so completely different. Like, you don't even understand. I mean, you look at these two brothers, they couldn't be, they couldn't be more different. And some of you, you're like, this reminds me of my brother or my sister. Like, we are so different. I'm the good one. She's the bad one. I'm the bad one. She's the good one. We, we, we see each other as complete opposites. And what I want to say to you is this, that these brothers were actually more alike than we may have first sized them up. So we focus a lot on this younger kid, we, the younger brother, and we, we, we love what, what, what the father does and this, this blessing and the robe and the ring and the shoes and the sandals and all these things. But what about this older son? What's his deal? What's, what's, what is he all about? The first thing is this, if you're taking notes, this is that he is lost too. He's lost. You're like, um, actually, I don't, I don't know if you read that right, because he's not lost. He's in the field. He knows where he's at. Like, he's, he isn't rebelling. He's not out doing his own thing. Like, he's home. Like, he's not lost. Follow with me here. In all three of these parables, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, something is not where it should be, okay? The lost sheep is not where it should be. It should be with the other 99 to make 100. The lost coin is not where it should be. It should be with the other nine to make a set of 10. The, the younger son is not where he should be. He should be at home with his father. The older son is not where he should be. He should be inside, partying with his family. And also, in every single one of these situations, you have someone that goes out and seeks that which is lost, right? So what happens with the lost sheep? The shepherd goes out and searches around the country to go find his one lost sheep. You've got this woman who tears her whole house upside down trying to find her one lost coin. You have this father who goes out and runs after his lost son to embrace him and kiss him and twirl and bring him back home. And then I want you to just read in verse 28. It says this, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Isn't that interesting? Now, the older son never left. He stayed home. But I want you to see something. I want you to understand something. I think it's the heart of what Jesus is getting at to really some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that are muttering in the crowd that he's speaking to is that he stayed home, but he was still distant from his father. He never left home. He was crossing all of his T's. He did all of his chores, but he was far from understanding his father's heart. Right? He was the good son. But the father wasn't going out saying, did you feed the horses and did you do what you're supposed to do? The father was going outside. Why? Because he wanted his son to rejoice with him. He wanted to have relationship with him and invite him in to party with the family to be a part of what it is that they were doing. This is what he went out for. Matthew chapter 7, um, there's this, I've always had this, this scripture has always been scary for me ever since I be, was a young Christian. Verse 22, it says this, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. And then verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
I always called this like the scariest verse in the Bible because it was like, wait a minute, uh, these people uh, prophesied, they drove out demons, they performed miracles, all in Jesus' name, and Jesus' answer to them is, I, I never knew you. Like, I don't have a relationship with you. And uh, quite honestly, what is the most concerning portion of this, this scripture is that Jesus seems to be equating good works outside of relationship with evil. I don't know about you, but that uh, kind of freaks me out a bit. Like good works outside of relationship with God as, as evil. He calls them evildoers. I never knew you. You get away from me, you evildoers. Because God is always after your heart. He's always after relationship over religion. We want to we give him religion, like our way of earning our way into favor and our way of getting closer to him. And he's like, I already made a way. That's why I sent Jesus, my son, to die, to rise again so that you could have more and better life, so that you could have a way to be able to come to me. You don't need to make your way on your own. He always is after relationship over religion. And I just believe this older son is like an example that you can be about your father's business and yet disconnected from the father's heart. Catch that? It, honestly, this, this is something I, I've never really heard anyone preach on this. It's just kind of like, I just knew that I wasn't finished. And the Lord started speaking to me about some of these things. In verse 31, let me show you. He says, this, this is what the father says to the son. He says, my son, you are always with me. He's like, everything I have is yours. So wouldn't that mean, I mean, in our own minds, we think like, well, that means that he's not lost. He's always there. He's always home. No, it actually means that he's more lost. He's more lost. Well, Pastor Justin, how can you say that he's more lost? He's never left home. He's not out there. Everyone knows where he is. And yet, yet, now, I would say that he's actually more lost. How can someone be more lost than someone else? So I, I wanted to show you something. So um, I've got these, these, two, these two roses. Um, one of them has been through a little bit more than the other, <laughs> as you can see. Um, so here's my question for you, and I hope that this, that this helps you understand the point of what I'm trying to make here. Um, here's the question. Which one of these roses is alive? The truth is, they're both dead, right? They've both been cut off from the source of life. The only difference between these two roses is that this one doesn't know it yet. This one does. This is your future, right? <laughs> The only difference between these two roses is that this one doesn't quite know it yet. And I, I just believe what, what Jesus is communicating is something that's been rocking me once I was realizing it and praying through it this week is that both sons made different choices but struggle with the same condition. They're both separated from the Father. Looks differently. One of them goes in rebellion and one of them goes in religion, but the reality is that they're both separated from the heart of the Father. Both are lost. And I would say that the older son is more lost. Why? Because he doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. He's just doing the work and he's, he's, he's doing everything that he should do. And so th th this, is, this is what I need you to, to grasp is that he's not lost because of his badness. Most of the time we look at all lost people and we're like, ah, they're lost because why? Because they're doing drugs, they're out there doing this, they're out there doing that, they're rebellious and all that. That's easy. That's, that's low-hanging fruit. He's lost because of his goodness. What? How can you be lost because of, of your goodness? Listen, I want you to understand this, that religion can be just as dangerous as rebellion. 
In fact, I would say that it's actually more dangerous. Why? Because it's so deceiving. Because you don't realize it. You're doing all the right things. You're giving, you're serving, you're coming to church, you're doing all these things, and you're doing the work of a son or a daughter, and yet you're disconnected from the heart of the Father, which is the only thing that actually God calls us to. He's not lost because of his badness. He's lost because of his goodness. And it's so stinking sneaky. So three points. One is this, that our goodness can actually disguise the condition of the heart. Can disguise the condition of your heart. Think about this. Um, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the older son's rebellion that disconnected him. It was his religiousness that separated him from the father. And for the rebellious son, his sin is obvious. It's so simple. I mean, come on. Dude, the, the guys, he took all the money and ran. He's spending it on prostitutes. He's doing all these things. We all can see it. It's so easy. It's so blatant. He's using his rebellion to become his own Savior and his own Lord. I don't need a dad. Just give me your money. Give me what you have, and I'll take it. I know better, and I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be my own Savior. I'm going to be my own Lord. But it's really different when you look at the older son. It's really hard to see. Why? Because it's so sneaky. It's disguised. He's actually using his rebellion. He's doing everything right. He's never doing anything wrong. He doesn't smoke, drink, or chew or go with girls who do. And so he's using his religion to become his own savior and his own Lord. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm putting in there. I'm, I'm doing all the right things so that, so that it will pay off to me. I heard someone say, and I'm not sure who the quote's from, but it's this, sometimes what can separate you from God is not so much your rebellion, it's your damnable good works. I almost swore, I think. <laughs> it's not so much your rebellion. It's your damnable good works. It's the things that you think are saving you. It's the things that you think are putting credits in your account that are going to, at the end of the days, going to win you a ticket to heaven. Those are the things that can separate you from your father just as much as your rebellion. And it's so sneaky, and it's always about the heart. Both sons in here are, both of them are lost. Both of them don't really want closeness with their father. They want to use what he has. You get that? They both wanted the benefit of being a son without the limitation of having a father. I, I, whether that's give me what I, give me, give me all that's coming to me so that I can go do what I want, or I'm going to do all the right things and do all the right things, and I, I'm going to earn my way so that it, I now deserve it. Now you owe me, right? And this is exactly what he does. The second point is this, that goodness can, can be used as a weapon against the father. And this is what kind of self-righteousness looks like. He says this in verse 29. Look at how he talks to his dad. Did you kiss your mother with that mouth? He says, he answered his father, look, exclamation point. That's in all languages, I think. All these years, I've been slaving for you. Catch this? And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You see what he's doing here? I want you to understand what he's saying here. You strip all the all this stuff away, and it's like, I know that's kind of silly and funny, but all of a sudden, I want you to see this. He is claiming that his father now owes him for his goodness. Look! You see all the good stuff I've been doing? I mean, I, I, I've, I've done this, and I've never done that, and I've always done this, and you've never done that, and all these things. It's almost like he's been keeping a secret chore chart. A little star, he puts them in himself. Job. A little tally of all the good stuff that he's been doing, just in case. Just in case he's got to turn in the bill of, of, bill of goods and say, here you go. This is why I, I deserve what is coming to me. 
And we don't know if he's been doing this his whole life. Maybe that's just kind of how he is. He just always, he's got a little chore chart, a little tally, keeps in his back pocket of all the things that he's done. Or maybe he started doing it once, once that younger brother, once he realized that he couldn't really trust his, his dad to handle the finances because of the, how willy-nilly he was with that younger brother. All of a sudden he realized, man, I think I better start keeping track of what's going on because not only do I have to do more work, but it's with less money and, and I want to make sure that what's coming to me is coming to me and that I earn this thing because you owe me. You owe me. Either way, let me tell you, religion will cause you to keep very good records. Very good records. Of yourself and of others. Because everything needs to be fair. Everything needs to kind of come out in the end. And we have this, this, this belief, and this is what I was, I was processing this week, is for some of you immediately like, yeah, this is, this is not news to me. It's news, it's news to me. At least God's just speaking to me about it in new ways. I, I, I know that we, we all, like if you're a Christian, that you believe that Jesus Christ has saved you and he's claimed you and all these things. But, but here's what we want to, what we want to believe. Because if, if I'm going to err and I'm going to go in one of these ditches, I'm not going to go in rebellion. I'm going to go in religion. That's just me. You may be like, no, it's totally rebellion for me, Pastor Justin. <laughs> I'm going to take the money and run, right? And then be like, oh, that sucked. And then I'm going to go back. But for me, it's, it's religion. So I, I want to continue to look at my life as it, we're like in the balances of a scale, right? We, we kind of, if you go to the market, old-time markets would do these scales. And so we believe that our, our good deeds go in one and our bad deeds go in the other. And they're kind of going back and forth, and we're hoping that at the end of our days, when we finally die, whether that's tomorrow or 50 years from now, that at the end of our days, our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds so that we get to go to heaven. Because we wouldn't say this out loud, but we believe that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And so then you come to Jesus with this kind of, this is the way that we think in our society. We come to Jesus, and there's this good news. Jesus says, I, I want to I forgive you from your bad deeds. We're like, holla, stinking Lilia. That's awesome because this has been a problem for me, right? I've put a lot of that in there and there, and it's, uh, I don't like to admit it, but it's kind of outweighing my, my good deeds. I try to help people cross the road, but sometimes I get, I get tired, right? And then, and, he, and then we say, well, what do I got to what I gotta do? I just, well, you just receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That, that's it. I just got to do that. Yeah. So we make him our Lord, and then all of a sudden, our bad deeds go away, and we're like this. The, tip, the scales are tipped in our favor. This is awesome. Thank you, Jesus, right? Now, this is where, this is the sick, twisted part of religion. If we're not careful, we start to look at the scales of our life and we say, it's actually my good deeds still that are weighing the scales in my favor. Thank you, Jesus, for freeing me from my bad deeds. But, but I really, I'm like, I'm, I'm so glad I had those good deeds to help weigh this thing out. And Jesus is like, no, I actually want you to throw away the scale. I'm, Excuse me? This is my retirement, right? And when I die, this is all I got left, right? I've been putting some, some, some investments into this good deed thing. And you say, I mean, to get rid of that. I mean, <laughs> this thing could go all over the place. God says, get rid of this thing. I actually want you to repent not only of your bad deeds, but your good deeds. Excuse me? I, I don't even understand how in the world that even makes sense. And before you think that I'm a heretic and you're like, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you, um, the Apostle Paul writes about this, in, about his dependence on religion. And I just want you to see how blatantly he says it. It's even worse than me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to read it in the message paraphrase. He says, 
the very credentials these people are waving around as something special, you know, the credits, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash. Along with everything else I, I, I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. Dog dung. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from a keeping a list of rules when, when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I want you to see what it is. I mean, Paul's talking about the exact same thing here. Isn't it interesting that Paul said that he not only had to repent of his unrighteousness, he also had to repent from his self-righteousness in order to embrace God's righteousness. He's like, it's not only my badness that's keeping me separated, it's also my goodness that I think is so good, but it's actually, actually distancing me from leaning in on my dad because I think I've earned it. He actually says, what I used to think was a credit to my account was actually a debit. What I used to think was the best thing that came out of me is actually the worst thing, dog dung, that came out of me. Dog dung. It's the worst thing. I used to think that this was the good thing, and it's actually the bad. The second point is this, is that our, 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 our I think it's the third point now, our goodness can hide our hatred for the law. Our goodness can hide our hatred for the law. It says, um, Verse 29, but he answered his father, catch these words, look, all these years I've been, look at the word, slaving, not working, doing my chores, slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. All of a sudden, it goes from like just being a son in the family to now he's a slave for a dictator. Isn't that weird? What used to just be like, yeah, this is what we do. It's part of the farm. This is my family. This is, this is my role in this family and all this stuff. Now he's like, I am slaving for you all these years. Never disobeyed you. It feels like when my, I ask my kids to clean their room, honestly. Right? Could you clean your room, please? Could you clean your room, please? Clean your room, please. Oh, my God. This is like some sort of Nazi regime that you call home, right? Can't even believe that this, I mean, this inhumane torture that you would ask me to clean my room. You know, all of a sudden, like, you're just like, what in the world? I just asked you to clean your stinking room. I asked you five times. You're lucky I asked you five times, right? And when we get to this place where all of a sudden we, 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 we see what used to just be part of a family is slaving for a dictator. And I want you to see what the older son is doing here. And this is, this is kind of wrap your head around, he's actually trying to use his past obedience as an excuse for his present disobedience. I don't think you got that. He's actually trying to use his past obedience as an excuse for his present disobedience. I always, you never, I never, you always, and I do, and you don't, and I this, and because of that, I want my way. And because of that, you owe me. Because of that, you better give me what I have well, I've got coming to me. You owe me. And he ends up using his goodness to leverage to get his way. Or at least he thinks he will. Because he's still thinking that this is how it works. Because it's his self-righteousness that keeps him outside rather than going inside God. 
I got to prove a point. Somebody's got to be taking care of this land. Somebody's got to feed these pigs. Somebody's got to feed these horses. Somebody's got to do these things. Uh, this, this Yahoo, you know, son of yours. I didn't call him his brother, if you notice. This Yahoo son of yours comes back. You kill the fattened calf. You had a big party, party, party. Invite everybody around. And I, well, somebody's got to do this work. Because I've been having to do twice of it with less money. It's his self-righteousness that keeps him outside. I just want you to understand, to prove a point. It's his self-righteousness that, that doesn't allow him to forgive. Why? Because he can't. Because the tally's off. It's his self-righteousness that kept him in the comparison trap. It's his self-righteousness that made him hate his own obedience. I hate it. It's his self-righteousness that made him stay home and resent it. Do the right thing and just, mm, for the wrong reasons. It's his self-righteousness that fueled his anger, and it's his self-righteousness that made him miserable. That's what we find him. Because we don't like to see it this way, but self-righteousness is actually unrighteousness disguised as righteousness. You see that? It's the same thing. In God's eyes, he's like, I really don't care if you're unrighteous and you're rebelling and taking all of it and sleeping around and doing all these things. Or if you're self-righteous and you think that you could earn what was given to you for free. I see both of those as unrighteousness. And you're just trying to disguise it and act like it is righteousness and it's so stinking sneaky. So sneaky. Because we can understand if we're talking about a rule breaker and a, you know, a rebel and he's taking the money and running with it and doing all these things and he's obviously disconnected and alienated from the Father and he knows it and he did it on purpose. And these are the people that Jesus is gathering around and the, the people, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law are saying, why would you hang out with these people? You know what they're doing. You know what they've done. You're Jesus. Why would you even allow them in? And it's very different, though, when you're looking at somebody else. You're looking at, at these, these people that, you know, they go to church, they give, they serve, they pray. They, they still actually find themselves in the exact same situation. What is that situation? Separated from the Father. Separated from God. Disconnected. How does that happen? How, 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 does, how does that happen? How does it happen? How do pastors and Christian leaders fall into sin? We've seen it recently. We see it all the time. It happens every few months, right? We see these, 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 these people that are, you know, we raise up and we put on pedestals and all these things. They fall from grace. They fall into sin. How does it happen? The answer, slowly. Slowly. Never happens all at once. It happens very slowly. You start to move from rebellion. God, thank you so much for saving me and now I'm going to earn it on my own good works and we realize that religion only breeds unrighteousness in us. And we think that it's actually going to help us. But when we, when we do good works outside of relationship, let me remind you, Jesus calls that evil. It's like, how could that be evil? Those are good things. You're doing good works. You're doing good deeds. And that's fine. And you should do good works. And you should do, you should do good. You should help people cross the street. All of those things. I'm just telling you, that's not going to earn your way into heaven. No more than your bad deeds will discount your way from getting into heaven. Those two things. And, and, and Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul writes this. He says, so, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Continue to live your lives in him. Paul is reminding us. He's reminding every single Christian. 
that your Christianity is not a crockpot where you set it and forget it. It isn't, an, it isn't a time where you came just as I am down to an altar of prayer, said a prayer, and Jesus gives you a free ticket into heaven. That is not what Paul or the rest of the entirety of the Bible, and especially these three parables are talking about. It is more like a marriage where you work at it, where you build on it, where you cultivate it, where you work it out, where you're humble, where you're flexible, where you have a relationship. Because if you don't do it that way, then you end up, well, like many times where the kids grow up and they they leave and they go off to college and the husband and wife are left looking more like roommates, wondering, I don't think I even know you. Or you look like the older brother that's never left home and he's stayed and he's served and he's done all the right things and yet he doesn't know his father's heart. Let me tell you, church, like, we have to fight to remain connected to the father. You have to fight for it. You got to fight for it. Let me tell you, if you're wondering what Satan's after, that's it. He's not, he doesn't really even care that you do all this and do that and give this and serve here and do that. As long as you do it outside of a relationship with God, he's like, go ahead. Just go do it. Keep doing it. You think you're going to save yourself. That's awesome. That's great. And sometimes we think, oh, he just wants us to get us, you know, if we could just fall into rebellion and do these things. And he's just like, yeah, listen, no matter what, as long as you're disconnected from the heart of God, that's all he cares about. As long as you're working hard to doing the work of a son rather than forgetting the beauty of being a son, he's all good. That we would fall or fail to rejoice in in the party and enjoy life in God's presence. Why don't you stand with me? There's this question that rolls around in me that I've been just processing this whole week, which is, okay, so which son do you want to be like? (laughs) And obviously the answer is I don't want to be either. Like I'm realizing now that like I don't want to be the rebellious and I don't want to be the religious. So like I thought those were the two two options. So so which which one should I be? And, And I think the answer is the third the one who's telling the story, the third son. Like his, his name is Jesus. He's the other son. He's the son of God. And, and in him we find our righteousness. Let me read it for you. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, let me say it again, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christian, can I just remind you that Jesus took on your sin. He took on your rebellion as well as your religion. He took on your goodness as well as your badness. He came to take away all of it. To, to, to tip over the scales that we try to measure our life in and say, actually, you only get your righteousness when you're in me. Do you realize that as Jesus is telling this story, essentially he's, he's communicating. Like the whole, he's like, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the reason the Father can, and this story can, can run out to you. Jesus Christ is, 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 the, is the way that the Father kisses us. Jesus Christ is the way that the Father forgives us and the, the way that the Father loves us and seeks us and finds us. Jesus Christ 
is the way that the, the Father pleads for us and goes out and asks us to put down our rebellion and come back home. Jesus Christ is the way that the Father goes out and pleads with us to lay down our pride and come inside. He's the way. He's the way. And so maybe you're, maybe you're here right now and you're like, I feel like I'm one of these two brothers. Maybe I'm, I'm rebellious or I'm, I'm the religious. I think it's kind of the two ruts that we end up falling into if we're not connected. So if you feel like you're the rebel, right? You're the one that's like, man, I just keep falling into this stuff. Here's what I would say to you. For the rebel, God loves you in spite of what you've done. He loves you in spite of what you've done. But you don't understand, Pastor Justin. Like, I mean, I... You don't understand what I did last summer. You don't understand what I did last week. You don't understand what, I, what my life has been like. I, I've got so many bad works and things that I've done, and I've went and I spent it and I stole and I did all of these things, and you don't, you don't get it. And I would say to you, I understand that. I just want you to know that God loves you in spite of it, and he's not as impressed as you are with it. In fact, he just says, if you just turn to me and look in my direction, I'll beat you to you. I'll chase you down. My grace will hunt you down and chase you down and kiss you and twirl you and hug you and you won't even know what to do with it. It's so weird, right? It's awkward. I don't even deserve this. This is crazy. And then you may be on the other side. You're, you're maybe falling into the religion, trying to do your good works and thinking that it's going to earn you away. I just want you to understand this. It's the same thing. God loves you in spite of what you've done. But, but it still credits me, though. I mean, right? Like, I, I did some good stuff, and I've been, I've been, I've been dedicated, and I, I, I pray, and I, and, I, and I give, and I, I serve, and I, it's great. And God, listen, but I just need you to know he loves you in spite of it. He doesn't owe you because of it, and you haven't earned anything because of it. When we come to the place of just realizing, my gosh, this father in this story doesn't even make any sense. I've never met a dad like this who would take a younger son walking into rebellion and run after him and kiss him when he smells like he does and he's done what he's done and all of this stuff and welcome him back into the family, kill the calf and, and you've got the robe and the sandals and the ring and then he would love this other son that thinks that he owes like you owe me. You're kidding me. Like the father would look and say, you think I owe you? Everything I have is yours. It's all yours to begin with. You don't have to fight for it. Come on inside and just be. Stop trying to do. Just be with me, with me, with me. And my hope and my prayer is that no matter where you're at today, rebellious or religious, that you would run after your father and come into his presence. So Jesus, I pray right now over the rebel and the religious in the room today, those who fall in one, one category or the other or tripping or sliding, finding themselves sliding into one or the other, Jesus, I pray that we would run hard after you and not settle for rebellion and certainly not settle for religion, but that we would run after your righteousness. And so Jesus, we repent. Maybe right now you repent of your rebellion of your badness, your, your, your bad works, the things that you know that have been separating you from God. But I want to encourage you, church, to repent for your good works, for the things that you know have been separating you from God because you've been putting all your hope and all your trust and all your faith and all your life and all of the things thinking, this is going to earn me something. This is going to, I'm putting away something. Jesus, we rely wholly only in you. 
I ask Jesus that you would have your way in this place. And as we walk out and we go about into real life, into our days, Lord, that, that we truly would walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that we shed off all of those other things and realize, man, he loves me in spite of what I've done. What a dad. What a ridiculous dad. I thank you for the love that goes above and beyond everything that I could ever hope or even imagine. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your hope. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Have an amazing week. See you next week.